Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjay Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is cloud security, cost, and culture. Technology's concern. So what am I talking about here? So no one has to be sold on the value of cloud computing because it is utilized very well within the organization. It's it's actually been well adopted. But then at the same time, we hear quite a few reported challenges, significant ones, when people are trying to adopt and scale the use of cloud technology. So the ones which people are reporting the most are are including like the security and the compliance concerns. There is an issue with integration and interoperability. There is a cost management or spend management issue, expertise availability of people who know cloud well and who can manage and and configure it to you know get the best output from it. And then some of those organizations even have said that they have had cultural resistance to change when it comes to moving from regular apps to a cloud-based apps. Then there is performance and reliability, data migration. And then when there are people who are, or organizations who are using multiple cloud vendors, how do you handle that ecosystem? How do you have them work well with each other? And how do they handle all the things that are required for you to manage when you're handling multiple cloud vendors. A lot of different issues, which of course we have to tackle effectively for us to make the most of this cloud-based investments. So what are the specific strategies IT leaders are using to tackle these challenges and get the most out of cloud investments? So to discuss this, I have Kemal Badur, who is the Assistant Vice President and Chief Technology Officer with the University of Chicago. Hey, Kemal, how are you? Good, Sanjok. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, looking forward to having this conversation with you. Same here. All right. Beautiful. So, uh, Kimal, let's start with the security and compliance concerns people are having when migrating to cloud. So while we know that it can give you amazing throughput, it can have almost unlimited compute power and everything else. Mm-hmm. But then... Security and compliance has been holding a lot of organizations back from going full throttle. So what what are those uh, these IT leaders, including yourself, doing to tackle that? And any best practices, which in my view, a best practice is something which works. What is that best practice that you can share, share with, with the listeners here? Well, uh, first, thank you for having me. I'm really uh, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I would say the for us, the secret is to treat security as a first-class citizen in our cloud journey. We include, we include our security partners in everything we do, and everything we have built in the cloud uh, for our users has security baked in, monitoring, identity, training, auditing, and more. And uh, we believe we are very, very uh, successful in moving quickly, getting, giving our users what they want, but we're doing it with security. And uh, I would also say the different people we have on our cloud team, whether they are developers, engineers, uh, you know, uh, business analysts, 
they all consider security part of their job. So when they talk to a customer, they will not just say, I'll build this amazing thing for you. Security will then come clean it up. And uh, we, did, we did all of this because we believe we would not be successful if we just let people loose on these platforms to create you know, digital tools, to do digital transformation, and then security can come follow and you know, clean, off, clean off after them. So when you are looking at security and compliance, do you think we have to stop at just tech level or you're also looking at the business users who we normally used to always caution to say, hey, anything do you do with an email click or something else, you got to behave. Is there anything specifically that needs to be done with the user community or cloud is a behind the scenes and anything related to cloud security and compliance is more of a behind the scenes task? So we have two different kinds of users in my perspective. The, f- the first are the people who are very worried about privacy and security all the time. The people in our medical center, the people who treat patients, who do sensitive research. And there, there are the people who are either doing just regular work, office work, or doing research that is not, that is not sensitive. So between those two, there is always, I mean, their interests are not the same. And when we are talking to them, the, uh, our role is to make sure that we understand what they are trying to do and then advise them on what they need to pay attention to. For the compliance-driven people, we need to be able to prove to them whatever cloud strategy we are pursuing or whatever vendor we are bringing in is going to be able to follow their requirements. So in our procurement guidelines, for example, we have a lot of we have security ch- checklists, including cloud stuff. We have uh, business associate agreements that we sign for anything that will uh, touch patient data. So all of that is the homework that we do upfront to make sure that everybody can see that they can trust whatever platform we are talking about to do what they need. And I would say at least 80% of cloud platforms that we have a relationship with have these you know, contractual and compliance frameworks in place because without, without that, we couldn't get our work done. And for people who don't care about this stuff at all, who just want to, you know, go do quick, you know, crazy, innovative things, it's on us to make security kind of invisible to them and be able to say, we we did the groundwork, we have the guardrails, they're not going to bother you, but we will be able to onboard you quickly to your uh, provider of choice. But we have all the stuff in place to keep you secure without having to worry about that. So we try to balance these two approaches to make sure that we are serving everybody well. Let's talk about the integration and the interoperability issues that most organizations talk about when they are looking at this cloud adoption journey. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's, it's obvious that there will be integration and interoperability, but then the ecosystem keeps shifting. So is this a moving target or have you been able to figure out a way it's almost like a playbook that you have created to to be to stay on top of all the changes that are coming. So, I mean, the answer is uh, yes and no. It's complicated. I mean, you're right. It's totally a complicated thing, and the environment is shifting all the time. But what we have done is uh, so about five years ago, we started uh, deploying a very critical business function to a new platform uh, provided by a SaaS vendor. And at the very beginning of that journey, we saw this coming. We saw this requirement of pulling data from that uh, platform to use it in other places, 
feeding data into the platform from existing on-campus and other cloud systems and how complicated that would be. The business had a vision of what they want to accomplish there. And we had not done this before in a very meaningful sense. And the great thing, I think, to the credit of our business and technology leaders at the time was to say, we're not just going to buy this one tool, we're also going to invest in integration platform. And we're going to have an integration strategy. So with that, so those two projects went, you know, side by side. And at the, you know, as of a couple of years ago, we have an integration platform that we are using not just for that project and for that business, but we are using it in now in our finance business. We are using it to feed our data warehouse. We are using it to move data around across many platforms. So we were able to create that, you know, not just, you know, by the tool, but also create a strategy and an approach. We built a team, we built, we built, you know, documentation, all the things you need. And now we can use that tool to, to apply to different problems that we have in the business and be able to do this together. Trying to do it one at a time, trying to take your data from this platform and writing a script to send it to your data warehouse or vice versa, doing it one at a time is not a sustainable way of doing this. So you need to have a strategy, you need to have vision to execute on that strategy. Now, with that said, uh, when you are looking at all the things that you've tried, any suggested, again, I keep coming back to the word playbook, right? So since this is going to be a moving target, do you have a way to, as soon as a new shift in the way the the same old, same old, or uh, what I call as today's normal is, Mm-hmm. What do you do to pivot? Because while you're trying to continue to set integration and interoperability, you might reach a stable state, but suddenly there's a disruption. Or while you're working on integration and interoperability, the very destination changes. Yes. Is there a yeah, playbook that- to kind of continue to stay on top of it or kind of change the tire of a moving car? I think, I mean, we actually went through the, that exact same exact situation you described recently on our financial system. Uh, we are currently on a mainframe. We are moving to a cloud-based financial system. That's a huge transformation. And uh, we realized during the project that the mainframe file transfers that we do to move data from one system to another or to send it to a bank for your payroll or whatever we are doing, uh, the system we have for that is not going to be sufficient for this new platform. And we had not even planned for that. But because we had an integration strategy, we could bring the same tool in play. We wrote the same team that was doing the integration play for the whole organization and told them, can you solve this business problem we have here with the two sets you have? And turns out they could. So we were fortunate that we had already made that investment and you know, we, could, you know, we could handle that problem and pivot in the right direction. I would say my advice would be as a playbook, look at what you have today, and talk to your leadership to see in five years, do you see the applications staying the same? Do you, do you see this data staying in the same place or staying in the same level or whatever you want to call it? And then based on that, see how we can actually plan. See how we can figure out what you, can, what you need to build, where you need to build it. I mean, to us, I would say that has been the most beneficial thing, to have some level of vision, some level of guidance from the business and from our technology leadership to be able to say, yeah, we can figure this out together and we can work on it together. That makes the people think much easier because you have talked about it before. Again, I mean, it's hard. It's easier to say this right now because we are in a relatively good spot. Uh, but, you know, I would say 
there is no time like today trying to start and build your strategy. And, you know, one of the biggest thing that came up was the spend management when it comes to cloud, right? Or rather mm-hmm. bleeding that starts happening or hemorrhaging in some cases when they opened up the cloud usage to even the, the business users, the developers. So there was no holding back and only for them to find out there was a huge bill. And right. now that you want to take away a facility that made their life easier, there's an internal uproar about that. What is a good balanced approach to introducing cloud within an organization and to maintain a healthy ROI so that people don't start or the management doesn't stop frown, start frowning and in fact say, you know what, bring this stuff in-house because I guess you are guys are uh, making it too costly for us. Yeah. So there are two answers to this question because there are different business models in the cloud. So for SaaS platforms, where everything is subscription-based, subscription is usually on a per-user basis. And those user-based licensing is mostly beyond IT's control. I can't go to my finance business and say, you, can, you, you, only, you, don't, you don't need licenses for your accountants on the finance cloud, or you don't need CRM licenses for your uh, you know, alumni relations people. So without that control, we to try to do two, two things. One, uh, writing a great contract upfront. When you're negotiating, when there is still competition, Everyone that is willing to give you concessions and to write a long-term contract. We've done that several times. It's worked out really well for us to write a five-year, 10-year contract and negotiate caps on annual raises. That's been really, really good. Uh, After those expire, you still need to negotiate, but again, no no day like today to start figuring it out. And the second thing that we do uh, in a very distributed environment that we have we have a lot of people who go buy their own subscription for this or that on, the, on their own, for a three-person team, for a 10-person team. And we work with procurement to get a review of what we are spending money on and then find opportunities to consolidate those licenses into one enterprise license, which works great for security reasons, for compliance reasons, but also for cost savings. I mean, this way we saved probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in excess spending by consolidating contracts. So this is the SaaS side. On IaaS, on infrastructure as a service, uh, things are more complicated. Uh, just yesterday, I listened to Airbnb's CTO talk about how they saved $60 million a year in cloud infrastructure costs by rationalizing their usage. And he talked about building dashboards, building, you know, uh, building logic to establish the cost of doing business for a reservation, for bring onboarding a host, for a search, which is very you know, interesting stuff. But the key thing that he mentioned was that the average virtual machine utilization they saw in their environment was 15%. That means machines are sitting idle 85% of the time. So I would say to save money here, you need to have good insight, good monitoring. You need to know what your patterns look like. You need to know what your trends look like. And then, you need to be able to talk to your developers, system admins, you know, whoever who is working on these platforms to get them to think about this, not just the technolo- as a technologist, but as a finance person. I mean, this is called FinOps. It's the, you know, QT abbreviation for it. You need to have people think about this. And you need to pay attention to it. There is a lot of money to be saved. 
the Airbnb CTO said he estimates 50% of all cloud infrastructure spend is waste, which is a bracing number. And he believes that it can be saved. So I think it's, you know, there is a lot of opportunity out there, uh, but it starts with looking at what you are doing and making sure your business is aware of what's, what, what it's trying to accomplish out there. And hopefully you can help them do it in a more cost-conscious way. And when you are trying to do this cost-related management, mm-hmm. it's not just the money that you would spend with the public cloud, but also the talent that you want to bring in, where right. cost is, of course, one of the factors, but the availability and then keeping them engaged and excited and, and, and keeping them within the company. Yes. Right. So there is a culture, there is a, uh, you know, a, a talent development plan, there is the technology skill development plan and the money you have to throw at it because these people don't come cheap. They don't. So what is the, the magic formula that you're deploying? So uh, you're 100% right uh, about this. And our strategy from the get-go has been to grow our cloud talent at home. So we uh, do individual development plans for employees. We ask them what they want to grow in. We ask them what they want to accomplish in their careers. And unsurprisingly, many people are interested in the cloud uh, because it's a, it's a new technology. It's, you know, like you said, uh, it's, you know, they get paid a lot better than people who are doing uh legacy or classical stuff, let's call it. And so we found those people and we, as they showed interest and uh, competency, we invested in them. We got them a ton of training and we promote them into cloud positions where we could. So we have cloud engineers, we have cloud security architects. So we push people in that direction and uh, we have been very successful. We also lose people. Uh, there are lots of people who go work for cloud providers after working higher education to come back and tell us how we should use their platform. So we always um, have the challenge of losing people. But, you know, I think it's really important to invest in people and then, you know, show that they have better opportunities after they leave your organization. So uh, I feel like we have a bunch of people who are interested in working in the cloud. We're growing them still. And it's really, really important to uh, keep doing that. Uh, I will tell you, I failed several times trying to hire cloud talent out in the market because it's very expensive and we can't compete with the, you know, large providers out there or private companies who are trying to get the same talent. So investing in people is really, really important. And culturally, to touch on that part, I think, again, it's very, very important for your employees to see that there are pathways for them to go, you know, advance in their careers within the organization. When you try to work with talent, right? And this is not going to stop, right? This this whole race of working with cloud and that's become a DNA. Yes. Would you say once you built that pool, are you done or do you see any fundamental shifts coming in the way cloud will if you know uh, evolve that would create yet another vacuum of talent because it's not a one time solving problem and then then mm-hmm. you know going to hawaii for a trip any constant challenge related to talent management do you foresee yeah i mean i think we are all at this point we quite talk about ai in every conversation. And that's obviously a huge challenge that's gonna be facing us in the next 
you know, decade and more. How do we get to people uh, to do the right thing? How do we... Uh, I mean, it's very hard to know what the right thing is. I mean, people talk about prompt engineers, AI developers, you know, deep learning specialists. I mean, I don't know what we are going to need. And uh, in... And I think it's going to be the, it's going to be both. Like the providers are going to build these capabilities. They're all rolling out their own, you know, AI flavored offerings, their own AI tools. And if our businesses want to use these things, and they will, they should want to use these things. We'll need to be able to meet the demand. But right now, it's very vague to me how to grow a successful AI developer or a prompt engineer. It's very early on. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. And I'm looking forward to future guests in your podcast to so tell me how to go that. But <laughs> absolutely, right now, I, I would love to have idea. you back again. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's why I was saying, like, because when we do not know what to plan for, how on earth do we plan and how do you sow the seeds, right? So that's the interesting part at the stage where we are at. Yeah. And I'm so my teams are currently working on uh roadmap development for next year. So we do this exercise every year. We have distinct teams you know, focus on their technology stacks, sit down and tell us what are what is the, the ideal future state? What, what are they seeing on the horizon? Horizon, what goals do they have for themselves? And I encourage them all this year to find ways to experiment with AI. AI pilot projects, AI tools that they want to try out. And I'm looking to learn from them. I mean, I have to admit, uh, I don't know how old I sound to your listeners, but I'm pretty old. I'm not going to be the kind of person that's going to innovate the next thing here. And I'm looking at my staff, at my technologists to help us think through what's coming next. So I'm trying to educate myself by reading, by talking to intelligent people. But I'm really interested in people who are early in their careers, who are looking at this thing and saying, I can do so much with this. I want to hear them say, hear them say that out loud. So that I can follow them. That's kind of my cheat, you know, my trick to try to stay ahead. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And after we come back, let's look at that environment that, yes, even handling one cloud is tough. Talk about multiple cloud vendors that you deal with and the multiple cloud environments that you have to deal with and getting them to talk to each other and making sense of all of that. How do organizations do it today? What are the challenges they're facing and what should be done to, to make it the best multi-cloud environment possible so that you exploit their coexistence together as multiple cloud vendor stack that you are managing? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You 
You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Kimo, we already know we started with this cloud journey. We spoke about different challenges, but then that was one. And each of those vendors, they have their own uh, agenda, which is they have their own uh, revenue targets, their growth targets, market share targets, and they are competitive. And you want competitors to come and work with you as if they were part of the same village, which I'm sure is not the easiest. So could you take us through a journey of how you guys as University of Chicago handled this multi-cloud adoption journey and what have you learned during that journey? Sure. So we are in a somewhat unique position in higher ed uh, in that there is no central leadership that says we're going to choose cloud provider A, we're going to go all in and we're going to work with them on everything that we do. Uh, instead, we have uh, researchers, thought leaders, students who are going out there and looking for the best of breed for whatever they are trying to do, whether it's training machine learning models, uh, looking at patient data and coming coming up with healthcare insights, or you know using using cloud for teaching. What we end up with is somebody coming to us and saying, I want to use provider A instead of provider C because they have this tool that I need to advance my research or my teaching. So that's always been the case for us. And that meant that uh, our cloud team had to develop their expertise and capabilities across all providers, essentially. And there are some that I'm not going to mention. I mean, if somebody came to me and said they wanted to use a very minor, very small provider, I would say maybe you shouldn't do that. But for the large ones, we have a lot of investment in them to be able to meet the needs that we have. The upside of that, I mean, it's complicated, that's the downside, but the upside of that is exactly what you said. They know that they have to coexist with each other here. And they also always want to be able to have, you know, talk to our researchers, talk to us to be able to prove that they can do better than the next provider. So we are, I think, in a relatively good position to be able to not necessarily negotiate amazingly better rates or anything like that, but we can get a lot of resources and attention from providers if we say we have this amazing project that we are working on, that we uh, we look at you know, this provider for, but what can you offer to us? Uh, we get a lot of attention that way. So that has been really good for us. Uh, in terms of a complexity of multi-cloud environments, I'm not super worried about that because we people tend to stay in one place. I don't have too many use cases where somebody is developing a tool on one provider and they want to send data from that tool to another one to complete the application. It's relatively straightforward. But again, we kind of play the field, if you will, to because we are we have so many different things that people want to accomplish, and each provider has a different take on that kind of advanced features when it comes to, you know, doing things in research and, in, you know, advanced technology. Now, with, 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 when you've done this, whatever you've done, and you said you're in a unique position, right, within mm-hmm. higher ed, but 
other people are not as lucky and or they do not have that unique positioning where you they could command uh they don't have as much leverage if you will sure. so how does one go about building relationships with them where they are not only a good partner to you individually but they are collectively able to sing kumbaya together so that you benefit as an organization if you were not in a position like you are in in higher ed because all other industries could also benefit what would your recommendation be i think well i've been in higher ed for a very long time so i'm not sure how i can think as a you know finance person or a healthcare person but uh my general approach to vendor relationships especially strategic vendor relationships for vendors that you are not just you know cutting a check occasionally and buying something simple is to engage them in deep conversations as much as you can so i would say don't just go to provider a when you need something from them go to them to you know have a briefing with them every quarter bring your senior leadership talk to them to understand so that you can communicate your needs to them and they can tell you about their features and you know have this ongoing discussion where you are not just you know in a transaction mode where they sell you servers and storage and you pay them a monthly bill but you know you you're excited about their ai options you want to learn about their capabilities for you know machine learning tools or iot even if you're not going to do all that much with them right away building that kind of deeper relationship i believe is really helpful to make sure that they are they understand what you are trying to do they understand what they can sell you eventually or you know immediately and then you know knowing that you are talking to everybody and you are you know building a strategy together i think that's the way maybe to get them to the table together instead of separately or trying to beat each other for each scrap of your business and when you are trying to do this is there any um shift that you're expecting in the cloud environment where today you might have confidence in all the major cloud providers but as mm-hmm. things are coming like cloud 2.0 or cloud 3.0 yeah what would you recommend people do do they wait and watch for things to settle or to jump on the bandwagon because of course there would be a tendency of one cloud provider versus another to try to say hey you take more payload from me because i am going to charge you more for that so they'll try to yeah. go after one or or one one cloud vendor will try to get the biggest share of the pie i mean they will always try that right and you know with rising interest rates with inflation and uncertainty in business um i think we're going to see a shift in the way that tech companies work with us where we might not as get get as good deals as we used to uh in the last 10 years so that's certainly going to be an interesting change and i believe the i mean this is easier said than done i'm going to admit that before saying it having an exit strategy is really important being able to say i have this workload in the cloud right now in this provider i can pull it and deploy it somewhere else without spending you know a million dollars that's always a great thing to be able to say and over the last 10 years our industry has innovated a lot with 
containers, with orchestration, with object stores. There's a lot of stuff you can do to kind of package your applications, package your tools, tooling to be able to move somewhere else. That's certainly something that's worth investing in anytime in your cloud journey to make sure that you are as agnostic as possible. I know it's hard. I know it's not, it's not easy to do. Uh, I have pretty high confidence in all the major providers that we use. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to say what's going to happen in you know 12 months, 18 months, two, three years if a provider decides, you know what, this is a side business for me. I'm not really interested in running this anymore. I'm going to get out. Or I need to increase your prices by 500% because that's how I'm going to make money. That's not a fun place to be. We experienced some of that with some providers I'm not going to mention. And the yes, we had some kind of an exit strategy, but it wasn't great. So it's, it's always good to educate both yourself and your leadership about these things. I mean, that, for a technology person, my, my most pressing advice will be to make sure that your business leadership understands your cloud journey and what the risks you are taking are, what the risks you are mitigating are, and you know what potential risks are coming up. So right now, I would encourage every CIO, CTO to survey the landscape and then go talk to their business leadership about what inflation would mean for this environment how layoffs at tech companies could impact the work you are doing with your cloud providers and play some what-if games, do some scenario planning. Again, it's, it's hard to get the attention from the people that I'm talking about here, but I think it's, the, it's a very unstable time right now. And that kind of planning would be very, very beneficial for everybody to understand where things could go and how we can work together instead of pointing fingers at each other when things start to go wrong. We spoke about cloud security earlier, but mm -hmm. then how do you see the very landscape of cloud security? Because I remember earlier people used to say cloud security is an oxymoron, which means there is no possibility of cloud ever becoming secure. Mm -hmm. And now lately there are a lot of tools and, and uh, service providers, folks who are started claiming that, no, we can make the cloud secure. But at the same time, the cloud, the security landscape itself is evolving. So if an organization is, is uh, embracing cloud to the fullest, they have to step up in terms of or rather up their security game and stay on top given the evolution. So what do you think is the best way for doing that? So first, the evolution has been very gratifying to watch. Uh, you're right, 10 years ago, uh, when we would talk about putting something on the cloud, uh, our security people would just laugh at the idea because it was considered so you know, wild west, so immature and everything. Uh, today, that's no longer the case. Uh, I would say the native tooling, the, the security capabilities that are integrated into those cloud platforms are at this point astounding. They are very capable, they are very, very good, and we benefit a lot from using just the built-in tools. And I mean, just to give you an example, one of our providers uh, for cloud storage, recent rolled out ransomware protection. They have you know, a constant watch over our storage, over our files, to detect you know, a ransomware infection coming from one of, one of our users, which is an amazing capability. And that's gonna save us a potential ton of heart, you know, heartburn 
just because they are doing it on their backend and you know as part of our subscription to them. Uh, in addition to this native tooling, that's really good to got to see. The third-party ecosystem is uh, very robust at this point too. There are lots of providers who are providing you know great value at different levels of the cloud stack, and uh, it's very honestly it's very hard to keep track of them and how you know how this market is evolving. But um, I mean, if you are starting off on your cloud journey or if you are looking to secure your cloud presence, um, now is a great time. So you will have a lot of options. Uh, for the future, uh, again, I'm going to go to AI. Uh, these, uh, there is so much out there at this point. To your point earlier, we have presence in each cloud. We have you know, data sitting across many, many different silos all over the place, including our own. And uh, it's very hard to watch over these things. And we talked about difficulty of hiring cloud people. Hiring security people is even harder. And hiring cloud security people, that's like the combination of the worst of both worlds. And uh, AI tools that can augment the capabilities of our incident responders, security architects, everybody else are going to be very, very, very important. Uh, and I, I'm already talking to vendors who have an AI strategy, and they are generally focused on security as one of the primary use cases. So I think that's the very exciting thing that's going to happen in the future. To you know, not replace security people, you can't do that. But augmenting their capabilities, making sense of this big mess of signal that we get from all these looking platforms we have, all these tools we have, uh, that's going to be an amazing advancement that I'm really looking forward to. Now, one last question I have for you, which is on one hand. We want to use cloud to the fullest, maximize whatever agility it can bring and perhaps support innovation and maybe using AI or any other compute for data mm -hmm. and analytics related. So everyone is looking forward to it. But then at the same time, we don't want to go overboard undermining what the risks and concerns which we have with respect to cost and talent and security and everything else. So if we want to maximize that potential, what is that perfect pairing act or the balancing act that you recommend for leaders who are attempting to do the same? So I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. Security needs to be at the table. Security needs to be a first-class citizen instead of just an afterthought. And uh, I don't believe a company is going to be strangled to death because security won't let them innovate on the cloud or anywhere else. I think the problem that we tend to end up with is we want to go and innovate something, we want to do something cool, but we forget to talk to security first. We forget to ask them what, 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 how they can help. And in my experience, I mean, I work with some, you know, not so great security people. I'm not going to pretend they don't exist. But in my experience, the huge majority of security people want to be there with you to help you. They want to support you. They want to guide you in your journey, be there with you, instead of just sniping at you from afar and preventing from innovating. The really, and I, and I think the conflicts really arise because you invite security after you failed and they have to come clean your mess. And at that point, if they are your janitor, they are not going to be particularly excited to work with you. So I would say your culture needs to focus on security 
not just to bring them to the table for decision making, for strategy, but also making sure that everybody sees security as their responsibility. So, for example, if you are rewarding your developers for building as many apps as possible, pushing as many features out as possible, but if you're not rewarding them for bug-free code or for fixing bugs instead of writing features, then you're giving them a signal. You're telling them security is not their problem. Security is not a priority. If you are telling your infrastructure people that moving servers to the cloud is their highest priority uh, and nothing else matters, and if you are not rewarding them for patching their servers or doing vulnerability management, well, guess what? That's a signal to them too. So for us, we always try to balance the two by saying the innovation and the security by saying, you'll need to do both. Tell us how we are going to do both. And we're going to reward you for doing both at the same time. But we're going to reward security people helping us innovate. And we're going to reward the innovative people for keeping us secure. That way, you, you know, knit them together instead of making them enemies. Once again, thank you so much, Kimal, for sharing your insights about uh, the topic that we discussed, which is cloud security cost and culture, the technology concerns that people have and how to mitigate them or address them so that we can maximize the potential for cloud. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I hope, it, I, I hope it, your listeners will enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed uh, talking to you. And listeners, please connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjo Gall, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.